Sales Tuners, Episode 54, Carrie Simpson, Founder and CEO at Managed Sales Pros. The decision maker says, I need more information to make that decision. We try and clarify. Tell me what information you need and why do you feel like an email will tell you more than a one-on-one discussion. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Edward Wilson, who said there is no better high than discovery. Joining me today on the show is Carrie Simpson, a self-proclaimed accidental entrepreneur, founder, and CEO at Managed Sales Pros, a sales development and lead generation firm that sets qualified appointments for their clients. Carrie is currently obsessed with surfing and reported to me her current status level is one, haven't barreled, and two, haven't died. So I'd say there's still a lot of opportunity. Before we dive in, I want to get back to some five-star iTunes reviews. Carmel Dad said, Jim consistently brings a new perspective every episode. This podcast is a game changer. Well, Carmel Dad, I appreciate you, good sir. Shoot me an email so I can get you the sales book of your choice. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 54. But now let's get to the conversation where Carrie talks about how she started a call center based out of a men's prison. So I was approached by a peer group leader from a group called the HTG Peer Groups, which is a group that we sponsored. Our company specifically focuses on the technology niche. So we sponsor events where we get technology resellers and technology vendors. And this was one of those groups. The leader of one of the peer groups was recommended to me, or I guess I was recommended to him by one of the peer group members. And they said, well, we're trying to put together this uh, this." this call center in a prison and one of our clients said you should talk to Carrie they hire their callers remote and maybe you guys can do something together so they reached out to us and there's so many limitations uh, with running a call center within a prison that we couldn't actually run our programs using their call team right they can't access the internet for example they can only access the dialer so it was a challenge for us to figure out, like, how are we going to support them? And what we ended up doing was just pushing any non-traditional work, any work that we wouldn't have wanted or couldn't have taken or now, uh, now that they've, they're up and running and we provided them with all, like, we gave them all of our training materials. We recorded everything for them so that they could they could take DVDs into the prison. They cannot access GoToMeeting, so I can't wow. train them one-on-one. So we just provided them with everything. Here's how we started our business. Here's how we chose which software we were going to use. You know, here's what you should think about. Here's how you should bill your clients. Like everything that we could give them, we did. And they just got out of pilot. So they started piloting in April. It was really difficult to get it organized and set up. And the, the pilot was successful. They took four, four full-time callers and they set them up in a room where they previously were doing um, sewing projects. So this prison has two choices. You can, you can telemarket or you can sew. So telemarketing is actually, you know, not a terrible uh, opportunity when side by side compared with you could spend all day sewing or you can talk to people all day. So 
They just got out of pilot and it was successful. They've got space for a hundred seats there. I'm really excited about it. I mean, I love this on multiple fronts. I mean, for one, as you said, it, it becomes an extension of what you already do professionally. And so being able to leverage your professional skills uh, in, in, in a order to give back, I think is fascinating, but also just truly the rehabilitation that you're doing for, you know, these inmates. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of like the new coding programs that are doing, that they're doing to rehabilitate. I just think there's a lot of stuff that we can do so that when they do get released from prison, you know, they actually do become productive members of society, right? They, they've done their time. Now they actually get the chance to, to, start over. And, and that's what we should expect from them. So I love that. I love that you're doing that. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. So Carrie, as you know, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. So I want to start, you know, obviously with, with Managed Sales Pro. Tell me about that. What is it? And, and why does a typical customer buy from you? Managed Sales Pros provides outsourced demand generation services to technology vendors, a vendor that was looking for a specific type of reseller would come to us and say, I want to talk to technology resellers that are managing at least 10,000 endpoints and who are using this specific software, but not this specific software. Or we want to knock out everybody that's using this particular solution. So find me everybody that's using this and go after them with this message. So using a pay for performance model, we were able to keep all of our data internal. So I don't share any information with the vendors when they are not successful in engagement. So if they say yes, they get the meeting and they pay for it, they have to show up for the meeting. So vendors love that risk-free approach to business. And if they say no, that's fine, but I still learned everything that I needed to know for the next campaign. So we've created this 80,000 strong list of technology resellers, and it's just all sitting there and it's getting smarter and smarter every time we call into it. So that's been huge for us. And then the technology resellers really like our transparency. We are selling a very specific thing, an amount of calling time and all of the data associated with that calling time. Now, Carrie, you, I can't imagine that you've always been someone who loved cold calls and you definitely haven't been as successful as you are today forever. So take me way back. How did you actually get into sales? <laughs> well, this is a great story. Uh, um, so anybody who's known me for longer than a couple of hours will know that I am uh, active in recovery. I've been sober for 14 years now. So back when I started uh, my sales career, it was not because I was really eager to become a telemarketer. It was because I was an alcoholic and I couldn't hold down a job for all that long. And telemarketing companies are always hiring. And that's how I ended up up telemarketing and it turned out I was pretty good at it. That's fantastic. And I think you said AT&T was the first role. Like you said that everyone's always hiring uh, in the call telemarketing space, but how, how did you land that job and what was the early days like there? It's a butts and seats role, right? Like I, what, knowing what I know now, most of the time, large call centers like that, it's all, it becomes a volume game. As long as you show up for the interview and show up for the job, you get the job and you keep it as long as you stay there there. But I could never understand why if I could hit my numbers in four hours, I had to work eight. So it didn't work out for me that well at the end. But I was a very uh, high performing member of that team for as long as I could stand being there. <laughs> you, you still got to tell me, though, you, you say that you love cold calling. So how did this love and passion for cold calling actually come to be? Because like I said, most people who tell me that it, it, what it means is they don't actually spend any time cold calling. And I know you do. So tell me about that. Well, I just really enjoy talking to people. I mean, at the beginning, I didn't love it. I'm. It, it was kind of the the last the last house on the road, right? Like it was. I was a terrible waitress, and I had a terrible memory, 
I mean, all of the jobs that you can normally get that are hiring all the time, I was terrible at. So telemarketing was kind of like, you better be good at this. <laughs> so, <laughs> Might be um, our last draw. And it turned out that I was just really good at talking to people. It was... I was I was as surprised as anybody when uh, when I overperformed in that role. I really like talking to business owners and leaders about the problems that they're trying to solve. Right, like here are people who have done really amazing things and they're solving really big, interesting problems, and they're going to tell me about that. Like that's what I love about cold calling. I don't. I think if you can't find something interesting or something joyful about engaging with people who are doing really interesting things, that's just a shame. Like you've so, got so to be able to break, enjoy break the that process. Down for me. Break that down for me. That process. So uh, I'm sitting here listening. I'm thinking, okay, uh, when I do my cold calls, I don't necessarily get uh, the person I want to actually open up and give me their problem. So what's what's the special uh, secret that you have here that you're able to not only cold call but get people to open up and talk talk about those problems that we would like to be able to solve for them. Well, you're never going to get them on the first call, right? So if you look at telemarketing five years ago or 10 years ago, back when everyone picked up their phones, it was a different experience entirely. Now it's all about you know nurturing your leads and being really patient so that when you do get the opportunity to have that call or to have that conversation, you know, you're there, you're ready. You didn't miss the boat because you didn't follow up in a timely fashion. A lot of it comes down to process. So when somebody says, call me back, you know, next quarter uh, at, you know, and I only take calls in the morning, you better have that follow-up call scheduled for next quarter someday at eight o'clock in the morning and be able to reference what you spoke about last time. So really tight process is what makes cold calling successful now. And so once you get them on the phone, what, what might that sound like? A lot of it is tell me more questions. So one of the things that I believe in here is organic pain point identification. So as opposed to going into a conversation saying, you know, most of the time we notice that law firms have this problem. Are you having this problem? And then they think for a moment and they say, yes, I am having that problem. And then you talk about this problem that you've just created for them versus getting them to tell you what they're actually having a problem with, right? Like if you only have a, if you only have, it's saying if you only have a, hammer, everything looks like a nail yeah, or sure. whatever. But like if you're trying to specifically create a problem that they have, I think that's where everyone gets tripped up as opposed to saying like, tell me what you're trying to do right now. Like, what are you trying to solve? What problems are you experiencing? And if they start talking about them and you genuinely have a solution that's going to help them, great, you're golden. And if you don't, you better have a great network where you can say, you know what, that doesn't sound like a fit for what we do, but I know this guy and he can help you. Yeah. And once you've created that kind of, I'm in it for the good of my client base, or I'm in it for the good of my community, or I'm in it for the good of everyone involved, as opposed to, I only want to make a sale. That's when cold calling starts to get interesting. I think part of the problem is everyone's so fixated and focused on, I got to get the sale. I got to get the sale. I got to get the Yeah, I have numbers to hit. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, I guess some lucky. I don't have those numbers. I own the business, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> but, there we go. Uh, but I mean, I still have a payroll to make, and I still have a, you know, I still have a process to lead by example for. Like, I can't very well tell my call team, "Here's how you have to conduct your day." Taken completely differently. I follow the process that I've trained my call team to, so that I can sit on the floor next to them and show them how it's done. I'm not going to go ask them to do things that I'm not doing myself personally. And if somebody comes back to me and says that doesn't work, I'll get on the phone right next to them and show them that it does. 
I just get this sneaking suspicion that if I'm the buyer and I receive that phone call and you just start asking me questions about, you know, the problems I'm dealing with, like, I'm going to tell you, I don't have time for this. Like, who are you? I don't even know why you're on the phone. So how are you breaking through that noise? Well, I wonder if it depends on what, what group that you're calling into. So is there a difference between enterprise level uh, software sales and small business technology sales? Probably. Like I would argue that it's a whole lot easier for me targeting small businesses that are targeting other small businesses. So I would say 80% of the work that we do is companies that are under $5 million targeting other companies that are under $5 million. So it's a completely different connection than you know, I've got a, a business that's trying to connect with Cisco and there's 17 layers of decision makers and I've got to get right to the top to sell them the solution. Like we've focused on a very specific area where we can still connect one-on-one -on -one with people and people are still happy to have those conversations. I'm buying that because one of my clients actually sells to independent locations of franchise operations. And it's amazing when they call into them, they can get that person to tell them whatever they want. I mean, they literally just like tell them anything, whereas completely different with, like, as you said, enterprise software, uh, they're not even going to tell you who the person is that bought software the last time that you called them. They're not going to tell you anything. So it is interesting that the difference is there. And, um, you know, one of the things that I tell everybody is like, just ask you, you will, you will never know what you're going to get until you just ask for it. And so, um, you didn't have anything to begin with, so you haven't lost anything. So just start asking Carrie, you brought up uh, the notion already of nurturing. And, but I feel like one of the things that differentiate differentiates you and your firm is, is when you decide to nurture, but it sounded like you were saying you want to nurture up front, but before you've told me in the past that you want to connect personally and then nurture, which is kind of unlike the rest of the market. Tell me more about that uh, nurturing concept for you. We do not email anything to anybody here until we have personally spoken with them. No. So the rules here for our call team are until, so you can send out an email if a gatekeeper specifically requests that it gets sent. Uh, but we don't allow our call team to write those emails, right? They're all templated and they go through one single point of contact. So nothing ever leaves our call center with a spelling error, for example. At the beginning, that really hurt us. At the We, we were allowing people to just to respond to requests for information and some of the stuff that left the call center looked terrible. So now we field all email responses through one person. It's all templated. It's all automated. All it is is a like a push button. You know, here's a white paper done. And then we go on to the next call. So we don't really get involved in email marketing on more than a one to one level. If the decision maker says I need more information to make that decision, we try and cl clarify. Tell me what information you need. And why do you feel like an email will tell you more than a one on one discussion with one of our solution providers? Right, so we're trying to get through that, that send me something objection. We don't want to send information. We want to get people having conversations. So once for our own business, like once somebody has said, hey, send me information, they go on to the list and they get nurtured. But I mean, we're not nurturing in a, like we're not setting up cadences here. We're not setting up anything complicated. Like if this happens, then this happens. And if this happens, subscribe them to this list and then send them these three things and then call them these four times. Yeah, cause all I, of our nurturing is done by people. I was gonna say, I feel like the, the, the rest of the industry, almost, almost all the tech companies that I work with, they've got this idea of a lead score. And until it reaches the lead score of, you know, 600 and that's even, oh my God, what does it even mean? yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> 
it doesn't it doesn't seem to work but that's the marketer's approach to sales as opposed to the salesperson's uh focus of sales but I, I you and you've had some experience with that like you you've had some of your clients send you their you know their warmest leads their hottest leads uh tell me about that last year we thought okay well we'll partner with these marketing firms because they almost have these plug and play client lists for us right the they're they're developing these lists of warm leads and you know, not to, I'm sure that it works in some industries. It must work or people wouldn't keep buying it, right? Or did we just create an entire industry around something that isn't? <laughs> and that's <laughs> anyway, possible too. Don't get me started on that one. Uh, like I personally started calling these companies to try and figure out like what's going on here. And the highest ranked opportunity, excuse me, opportunity in their pipeline was a was not a decision maker. They weren't C level at all. It had actually been a sales rep at a car dealership. Say what? Who was looking for a job at that oh company. Oh my That's goodness. That's why they were hitting the website nonstop. So the marketer had sent over this this lead as being like, this is the hottest lead that's ever been, right? <laughs> and when I called it, I was like, not only is this not a lead, they're not a decision maker, and they're they're not in the market for IT, and they're leaving they're leaving this company. That's why they're hitting these the website over and over again. So there, it's there's I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on there that automation doesn't catch. Right? There's no way to catch that this is just a sales rep hitting your website nonstop, wondering whether or not they want to come work for you yeah, because they had an SDR role posted. And if you're just going to blast them with emails, it doesn't matter anyway, because you don't actually have to spend the time on Why, Carrie, why do you think it is that so many people have a reluctance to pick up the phone? I mean, call reluctance isn't new. Um, you have a whole new group of people coming into the workforce right now who didn't grow up using the phone. Like I didn't have a computer on my desk until I was 26. Wow. So I started my sales career on the phone. That's the only option we had. Now everybody tries to take the easy way out. Like, how can we do this faster, easier, and, you know, in their minds more productively? But if you look at, for example, look, let's look at email nurturing. So you buy a list. You don't know anything about anybody on the list. Nobody's cleaned it up for you. You've gone to, you've gone somewhere and you've pulled it and you've brought it into your system. And now you're like nonstop emailing these people who are now unsubscribing. Mm-hmm. Right? And being a Canadian company, that's huge for us. We don't have that option anyhow. Castle compliance means that every person that you email has to be opt-in compliant. Wow, every single person. Correct. So wow. in the U.S., you can do it a little bit differently. Yeah. But if, if the email is originating in Canada, there ha- and we had a couple of years to make it right, right? So they didn't, uh, they, regulations didn't just say, hey, you can never do this again. They said, you've got two years to figure this out. But those two years have come now. So hmm. everyone has to be opt-in subscribed or you're in violation, a regulation that will heavily fine you for sending email that was unsolicited to people. So you've got to find ways to work around that. I mean, an, a verbal opt-in is what you need to be Castle compliant in Canada. Somebody has to say, okay. yes, it's okay that you email me. And you have to have that that recorded. And is that you have to have it recorded really? Like there yeah, you have to be able to prove that they Wow. Said so and are you talking about just like one-off emails as well or to be put onto a list? No. So if you are on a list, okay. if I okay. want to email Jim Brown some information about my company and I'm doing that one one person at a time. Okay. That's okay. So I cannot send out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So where's the, the where's time. the gray area? And I think that's where you're going to. So where's the gray area? Because here in the states, as you know, uh, there's a huge push with sales automation platforms because they are technically one-off emails out of my inbox, but it's to a list. How does how does that fly? 
I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not yeah. getting into that territory. But <laughs> You've talked about this unsubscribe and this don't ever contact me again concept. One of the, I read an article uh, that you guys posted talking about restraining order prospecting. And that just talks <laughs> about, you know, you do not take anyone out of your pipeline until they have explicitly told you never to call them again, or you have disqualified them. Now, I don't know that I completely agree with that, but I'd love to have you elaborate. So in my mind, not interested means a couple of different things, right? It can mean not interested right now. And we also call on behalf of other companies. So if somebody said, hey, Carrie, get bent, never call me again, I'd take them out of my pipeline. But on behalf of a prospect who potentially only has a thousand leads in their pipeline, when someone says not interested, I don't want to pull them out of that context uh, over that client's pipeline. What I want to do is what we call, we call it suspending the lead. So we suspend it for 90 days and then we just start over again because nobody remembers talking to you in 90 days, right? Unless you've had an in-depth conversation with a decision maker who then makes an informed decision to say, no, we're purchasing something else. And here's the thing we purchased. That lead is not dead yet. They're not going to remember talking to you in 90 days. You just start over again as if you've never called them. Hmm. Uh, but even then, though, I think you could have implementation issues that could still open up an opportunity. Uh, oh, for sure. You could have a one-year you know, contract that uh, it opens up again to see whether or not they're happy. So I, I, That's it, where the nurture comes in. I was going to say, maybe you are uh, pulling me to the other side. I, I, I like what you're saying there. There's always going to be exceptions to every rule, and the goal is to find what works for you specifically or for your company specifically or for the solution that you're selling specifically. And the only way to figure that out is to play with it until you figure it out, right? Like we don't – we we didn't settle on the solution – or not the solution, the um, the process that we're using – until we tried a billion other things that didn't work. So we just keep changing the language just ever so slightly. Instead of saying this at this part of the conversation, say this instead. Don't end your conversations like that. And the, like the, the rhythm we've kind of hit on is statement, question, open-ended question, and then objection handle and start over again, right? So there's almost a rhythm to the call and you just keep repeating that rhythm. One of the other things that it just kind of parallels into this, again, I read this on your site, you had this notion that you shouldn't prejudge prospects. And I think this was a car rental story that you had and <laughs> all you wanted them to do was just handle it. If you could give me the 30 second, because I think it's an amazing story. And I, as I was oh. reading it, all I could think is, like, yes, you're so right. Just handle my, pro I don't care. Like, tell me that story real quick. We were in Florida and I went uh, running with a friend of mine and uh, I run with one of those like great big water backpacks and then I put my key, my car keys and my money and all my stuff in the backpack because I, I don't want to leave it in the car. And I was running with uh, a local guy and we were running past, past a place where there was alligators and then he started throwing rocks at the alligators so the alligators would turn and look at us. He's like, hey, give me your phone, give me your phone. So I gave him my phone. But when I gave him my phone, I think my car keys flew oh, into the, no. the water. So we went back to the car, couldn't find my keys, couldn't find my keys. And like we're in, my, my kids are going to go to Disney World. Like we got a whole day planned. I'm up really super early to go running and now I can't get into the car. So I call the, the car rental company and and i was like I, i'm just gonna leave the car here i gotta go and they're like well you can't do that you can't just you abandon can't just the abandon car, car. Yeah. And i'm like i'm pretty sure i can because i have done this previously <laughs> but you know like fine how do i fix this they're like well you need to call a locksmith and then the locksmith will come and i'm like, fine fine i'll do that so i called the locksmith and like three hours later later i'm still waiting for the locksmith so i call the car rental company back and saying look 
the locksmith didn't come and I am not giving up a full day of vacation. So I'm leaving the car here and they're like, but it'll be $500. And I'm like, are you telling me that when I called you this morning at 730, if I had handed you $500, you would have fixed this problem then? Well, most people don't like to spend $500. They want to do it themselves because it's less expensive. Like, did you even qualify me? Uh, like, yeah, how do you know no that kidding. I want to spend 200 and not 500 You don't think $300 is worth not sitting in the Florida sun right. all it, afternoon? It, it, the waiting cost for the value table? of your time. Correct. So prejudging whether or not somebody's going to want this or that based on, on nothing, it's just I don't know why they keep renting to me. That company keeps renting me cars. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, that's another story in and of itself. But so, t- tell me how to how would somebody uh, prevent them doing that in the B two B world? How would they prevent themselves from prejudging their prospects and and making sure that they truly do qualify? Well, some of that's going to come down to what do you absolutely need to know about a prospect before you move forward. So we're big proponents here in qualifying with anybody that will take the call. Right. And so there's, okay. no, there's no reason that you need to talk to the CEO of a company before finding out that they're a good fit or a bad fit for what you're selling. So if you've got an absolute qualifier, like we only do business with companies that look like this. So for us uh, on the reseller side, it might be like we, we look for IT resellers between two and $5 million in revenue where the CEO is still involved in the day-to-day sales process and is still going on. It's like, that's our ideal fit. We don't do business with companies that are smaller than that because we've noticed that, you know, when it comes time to write the check for the amount that we charge for that monthly fee, if they didn't have the month that they wanted, we're probably going to lose that prospect versus a more operationally mature company who understands it's going to look like this. So those are absolutes for us. If, if we learn in a call that their revenue is below this, and there's lots of ways to ask what is your revenue without asking what is your revenue, but if we learn what that qualifier is, we can learn that from the receptionist when she picks up the phone. Like we can ask them flat out, tell us a little bit about your business. I don't want to waste anybody's time. And they'll say like, oh, we're this big or we're that. And we can say, okay, well, most companies find ROI working with us when they reach this level. So you don't have to have those qualifying conversations with the C-suite or with the ultimate decision maker. You can start having them the minute anybody picks up the phone. I'm sitting here jotting down notes because I'm definitely guilty of that. I feel as though I can only call on the CEO because they're the only one that can make the decision for what it is that I sell. And uh, oftentimes I, I know when I let myself talk to someone else, they end up becoming the champion and end up getting the deal sold for me internally uh, because I spent the time you know, building a relationship and, and uh, understanding the true issues of the company and of the CEO, but without ever talking to the CEO to begin with. So that's good stuff. Carrie, one of the things that um, you know I pride myself in is just trying to put my Myself in rooms where I know for a fact I am not the smartest person there, and I think that was definitely the case when I met you in in Atlanta because uh, you just were dropping value to me like crazy, and so being able to learn from you was awesome. One of the things that I have admired about you, and it seems like you know you've been really good at, is is hiring a lot of smart people, and I think you know you've told me that's been a big part of your success. Can you tell me more about that that strategy and and what you actually are trying to do? My goal is like the minute that I can afford to get something off my plate, I do that. And sometimes I do that before I can afford to do it. But there are lots of things that I'm good at and there's uh, lots of things that I'm terrible at. And the things that I'm terrible at, I want to let go of. 
I love that. It's it, it's so true. And one of the things I would love for people to make sure they really hear, you don't have to be the owner of the company to do what you're talking about. I've actually done some of the things that you're talking about as an individual contributor sales rep on a team because I saw the path to revenue. I saw the path to commissions and there were things that I didn't need to do. So I literally hired personal assistants on my own while working for someone else because I could do the value add and see, okay, if I pay them X amount of dollars per hour and they can help me get this many more deals done. And by the way, that deal would be one, one more deal. It pays for their entire month of what I've outsourced to them. So don't think that you, again, you have to be the owner of the company to even consider that. So I love that. Carrie, uh, I got to take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners. I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Carrie, are you ready for the money round? I feel like I need a buzzer for this, but yes. (laughs) Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Hiring smart people and getting out of their way. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I would be begging Oracle for a job. That's what I, if I was going to start over in sales right now, I would call Oracle every day until they hired me and I would take their beginner sales training program. And I would just keep my mouth shut and listen. I have never met anybody that worked for Oracle that didn't go on to great things. Two-part question here for you. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I hate to lose. I think winning is just a natural byproduct of doing things correctly, right? If you're following the process that you believe in and you're selling something that you believe in, you are going to win, right? Like I am always surprised when I lose, quite frankly. I go into everything thinking that I'm going to win it. I hate losing to competitors. I hate losing in sporting events. Like I just hate losing. I feel like I'm doing everything right. Losing isn't an option. And when it happens, I'm like, first I'm surprised and then I'm angry and then I go and work harder. Carrie, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Uh, right now, I've, I've got a couple. So uh, the Gary Keller's The One Thing. That completely changed how I structure my days. Loved that book. And there is a James Al... I always think I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. James Al Tooker wrote a book called Reinvent Yourself. And... I find his writing really interesting. I follow him on LinkedIn. He's, he publishes like really manageable snippets of things to read. But there is a, um, a chapter in the book Reinvent Yourself that compares the M&M rap battle at the end of 8 Mile to a sales conversation. And it is one of the best things I've, I've ever read. So if you haven't seen 8 Mile, go watch it and then go pick up that book and show like like let him break down how he got every, like how he won that rap battle, because that's how you sell. It's amazing. Sales tuners, if you would like to check out Carrie's suggestion of reinvent yourself for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30 day trial of audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Carrie, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? 
I knocked a lot of things off my bucket list this year. My sister, who's also my business partner, and I made a bucket list years ago when we were just starting the company, and it had to be very specific things. I want to do this in this place. And so this year I got to knock off, I want to eat sushi in Japan. And that was awesome. Like I got to take my family to Japan for three weeks. We traveled all over. It was, like, it was just phenomenal. So that's something that I've just knocked off my bucket list that I loved. I went in a helicopter this year. That was on my bucket list. I'm um, I'm really trying to rein myself in from bucket list items this year. I really want to sit in my call center for a full year and work with my team. We just um, we just brought one of our callers up into a management role, and I'm going to work with her for the next year. So bucket list is on hold. Carrie, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? There's no easy route, right? Like there's just no easy way from A to B. You have to do the work. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at sales underscore pros or my personal Twitter account is cold call Carrie, but I'm, I'm less professional there. Uh, you can email me at uh, Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E at managed with a D, sales with an S, pros with an S.com. Uh, or, you know, you can call us. We've got a 1-800 site right on our, our 1-800 number right on our website. Carrie, this has been so much fun. Thank you for your time and thank you for joining us here on Sales Tuners. Remind me never to let Carrie borrow my car keys. I definitely don't need them being eaten by a gator. I want to get to my top takeaways. Number one, overcome the send me info objection. The goal of a cold call is not to just send information. It's to get into a conversation. But I know everyone has to deal with the prospect who just says, send me some information and I'll take a look. One of the best ways I've dealt with this objection is to counter it with, I'd be happy to. But we have over 347 different one-sheeters, and I have no idea which one I'd send you. Can you tell me more about what it is that you're looking for? Number two, qualify anyone who will take your call. What do you absolutely need to know from a prospect before you can move forward? All too often, reps focus on titles thinking they can't get a deal done without talking to the highest person in an organization. If you understand your true qualification criteria, you may realize that you can use multiple people in the organization to not only gather that information, but also to build champions for you internally. Number three, be patient with the process. Unless you sell a product that is conducive to a one-call close, realize you're not going to close a prospect on your first call. I say that because if you get comfortable with your process, you'll start to see patterns form in the timing you're able to catch someone. You'll see patterns in follow-up strategies, and you'll see patterns in discovery and objections. These patterns can illustrate an opportunity to streamline your goals by practicing patience. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there. If you get the middle seat on an airplane, which armrest is yours?